0: I'm always amazed on how God orchestrates uh, our service. Those songs really connect exactly with what we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Judges. Uh, We'll be in Judges chapter 6 this morning. Judges chapter 6. Well, I remember a time in my life growing up in the church, hearing all the right things, knowing what to do, but if I really thought about it, God was out of my sight and out of my mind. I mean, I knew God, and I thought about him every time I was at church, but beyond that, I was thinking about other things, thinking about living the life the way I wanted. And God graciously, in loving discipline, allowed me to live and experience the result of that life, or experience the ruin or the rebelling against God and his word by not living according to his design. I was living in sin, and the experience and the consequences of that. I lived in shame, I lived in guilt, tried to cope with whatever I could to remove the effects of my sin, but it wasn't until I was face down in the pit, in the muck, in the mire of my sin, and that's where God met me. He met me where I was at, and he didn't just abandon me and leave me there to experience the consequences, which would have been totally justifiable, but he called me to something better, to live a life that brings glory and honor to him. And God graciously reached down into the pit that I was in and pulled me out cleaned me off and said, now it was time to follow him, but my faith was so weak. How could I do the things that he wanted me to do when I spent so long doing the opposite? I had to relearn how to walk, take those baby steps. And through it all, God showed me his grace and mercy in my lack of faith. When I would try and fail, there was his grace. When I put conditions on my obedience, God, if you do this, I will follow you. He was patient with me. And through the journey, God provided me small steps of obedience to grow my faith, to learn how to obey. And as I would do that, my faith would grow. I knew the truth And experienced the blessing that came from following him, and I began to understand why God's way was so much better than my own. I realized through that my faith was growing. We've all been there. Some of us are there now. We're wrestling with the objections and excuses and doubts to God's calling in our lives. For us, there's a constant struggle to keep God at the forefront of our minds. For some, he's called us to lead our families and to follow him, and we blow it. We're called to submit to those in authority, and there's something inside of us that just wants to rebel. We're told to honor and obey our parents, but we make excuses like they have no idea what they're talking about. Some of us put conditions on our obedience to God's call. God, if you do this, I will follow you. God calls us to love and to care and to serve our church family, but the excuses keep piling up. I just have so much going on. We're called to make disciples, but that doesn't fit into my Sunday morning, one hour a week schedule for God. Others... are fearful of what following God will cost us. Our jobs, our relationships, peace and serenity, opportunities, time. So how do we follow God's call into something better where all along the way we find ourselves in situations that make us difficult to follow God? Well, our passage today shows us how we can follow God wherever we are at. And the life of Gideon shows us how God interacts with those he calls to follow him. We're picking back up in our series, Out of Sight, Out of Mind. It's a study in the book of Judges. We're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at Gideon. He's got the most press out of the Judges. He's got 100 verses with Samson, a close second of 96. That's why you get me for, for four weeks we looked at the sin cycle of how Israel would rebel, which led them to ruin. And God rebuked them lovingly, trying to get them to turn from where they were at. And today we'll look at restoration. We saw how the nation of Israel came to ruin because they rebelled from God and His Word. This is a different story in the book of Judges where God didn't immediately raise up a deliverer, but He lovingly rebuked them to correct their wrong thinking, and have them repent of their idols so that they would follow the one true and living God, and that's where we'll pick up this morning. So in your Bibles, if you've turned there to the book of Judges, if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one underneath the chairs in front of you, and on that book, it's a page 169. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that no matter where we are at, whether we find ourselves in the pit, and making excuses to follow you, to listen to your call, that you show us grace and mercy, and you call us to something better. Thank you that you give us grace along the way, that you give us small steps of obedience to grow our faith. And Lord, show us yourself this morning through your word and how you interact with Gideon and what that means for us this morning. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our first point is that God meets us where we're at and calls us to something better. We see this in verse 11 through 16. Follow along as I read. The angel of the Lord sat down under the oak at Orpha that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. We see here is that God meets Gideon where he's at, both physically and spiritually, hiding in fear, in unnatural circumstances, threshing wheat in a wine press. The wine press back then was a hole in the ground and threshing wheat would have been done in the open field with oxen where the, the wind could blow it and separate it away. But instead we see Gideon hiding in the pit of the ground trying to thresh wheat. He's being hard pressed by his circumstances and he's being sifted like wheat to be refined. And God meets him where he's at and God calls him to something better. And that call involves identity and purpose. Look in verse 12. The Lord says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon was far from a mighty warrior at this point. He was a coward, threshing wheat in a wine press. But oftentimes, when the Lord calls us, God has in mind where we will be, not where we are at. God sees what he's going to do through us along the way. Not only does it have his identity there, but it has his purpose in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. God's calling to something better involves our identity and our purpose, but Gideon has some objections. Let's look at them. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, now this is a sir, he doesn't know that the Lord is talking to the Lord, pardon me, sir, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon has an incomplete view of who God is. He says, if God is with us, why is this happening? And he concludes that the Lord has abandoned them. But a couple verses before this, we see that the reason why they're in the situation that they're in is because they rebelled against God and his word. They were setting up idols. They were worshiping other gods. Then we also see another objection and some excuses. And he says, but how can I, verse 15, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. And what we see here is Gideon is having a false view of who he is. He's thinking he's going to do it. He's looking at himself and saying, how can I do this? How can I follow your call? I'm the weakest. I'm the weakest in my clan and in in my family. But see, it's not about us. It's about God with us. Our identity is from the Lord. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And our purposes are from God. Am I not sending you to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midian? See, God's presence, God with us, is the foundation and the fuel for our call. When God called me to start following him, it seemed like there was no way. Nuh-uh. Not where I was from. Not what I was doing. I was in the pit deep in my sin. God, how can you want me to do this? There's no way. I was in the bottom. There's no way I could go but down. But do you find yourself in unnatural circumstances? Are you threshing wheat in the wine press? What has God called you to do? Remember, the Lord is with you. Men... The Lord is with you, spiritual leader of your home. Ladies, the Lord is with you, submissive wife. Children, the Lord is with you, obedient child. Singles, the Lord is with you, be holy and pure. Church member, the Lord is with you, faithful church member. The Lord is with you, disciple maker. So what are your objections and excuses to what God has called you to do? God's, maybe you're saying God's abandoned me. Maybe you're saying God can't exist if this is what's going on. God's not calling me to do that. But God, I'm not. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. I can't do that because oftentimes there is a gap between where we are and where god is calling us to god where god's calling us to be and this is the most amazing this is where we see god in his grace gives us grace as he closes that gap he knows it'll take time he knows we're not going to change overnight but he's gracious and he's patient He's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Which leads us to our second point. God gives grace and mercy in our lack of faith along the way, verses 17 through 24. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Now he's starting to think, okay, is this really the Lord? Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you here we see God's grace and his patience. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside and prepared a young goat from an of flour. He made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and a broth in a pot. He brought it out to him and offered it to him under the oak. And the angel of God said, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat with the unleavened bread, with the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that, he was, that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, or alas, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace and to this day it stands in Orpha of the Abyssalites. Gideon demonstrates his lack of faith in God and his word by asking for a sign. And God, in his grace, condescends to his outrageous request. If I find favor, verse 17, give me a sign. And God gives grace and he stays. I will Wait, God gives grace and brings him an offering and sharing friendly hospitality. And then he gives grace by giving Gideon a sign, consuming the offering. And then when Gideon realizes that it's the Lord he's talking to and he saw him, he's humbled because he knows he should be dead. No one can see the Lord face to face and live. Jacob, when he was wrestling with God, he exclaims, I've seen the Lord face to face and I am alive. God shows mercy to him by sparing his life. Look at verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. When Gideon encounters the grace and the mercy of a holy God, when his life is spared, he does the only reasonable thing. Worship. Worship. He builds an altar, a means of worship, to remind him of what has happened. Have you seen yourself like Gideon? Have we, we make our obedience conditional. We won't act unless we see God act first. God, if you heal me, I will serve you. God, if you give me a sign, I will follow you. If you get me the job or the spouse or the raise or the relationship, I'll read my Bible every day and twice on Sunday. Right? We make our obedience conditional while God's love for us is always unconditional. So what are your conditions that you're putting on your obedience? What do you still need to see or know about God Maybe you know about him, but you've never really seen him and experienced him for who he is and what he's done. What are the things that you can do to remind yourself of God's person, his word, and his presence? And maybe today you need to experience God's grace and mercy in your life for salvation. Because you realize that if you were to stand before a holy God and your sin not taken care of, you will spend an eternity apart from him in hell. But despite being where we're at, when God meets us and calls us to something better, despite him giving us grace and mercy along the way, we see that he provides us a small next step of obedience to grow our faith, which leads us to our third point. God gives us small steps of obedience to grow our faith. Look at Judges 6, verse 25. Verse 25. That same night, the same night that he worshiped God, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, which is exactly the amount of time that they've been in captivity. So that bull has been in captivity with them the whole time. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build, look at this, a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. On top of its height, Using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the day. In the morning, when the people got up, of the town got up, there was Bear's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When the people carefully investigated, they were told told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's, Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubba Baal, that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. So that same night, after Gideon sees the Lord and worships him, God calls him to obedience. Tear down your father's altar to this false god, Baal. Tear it down. Destroy it and build a proper altar to me, the one true and living God. And he obeyed, yet he was still feel f- fearful, verse 27, because of he was afraid, he did it at night rather than in the day. And I would probably be afraid too, the, re- the reason that the people responded afterwards. They, they demanded to kill him, bring him out here so he can die because he tore down the false altar. You could see the state of Israel that they were in, that they were willing to kill one of their own clan because they did what was right and removed the sinful altar. So maybe he knew how they would respond. Maybe he knew that he would die. It's interesting that we don't see Gideon and the rest of how that's being described. Maybe he was in his daddy's house, maybe hiding under the bed, locked the door, shut up tight, but yet he obeyed. Sometimes we just need to trust God and do what He says. When God brought me out of my pit, he didn't automatically put me in the pulpit. That would have crushed me. He worked with me. He helped me start reading his word. He helped me start praying more consistently. He helped me understand my salvation. So what's the small step of obedience that God's calling you to? You might be fearful. You might be doubting, but you just need to trust God. And do it, because remember, it's not you. It's not about you. It's not about how qualified you are or what you've done. It's not about whether you're enough or not. It's about God with you. So maybe you need to gently start leading your family. Maybe you need to pray with your wife. Start having family devotions, talking about God sightings, how you've seen God work in your life. Maybe it's submitting to some of your husband's decisions or obeying and honoring your parents' requests or advice. Maybe it's staying for second hour, reading your Bible more than you already are doing, joining a Bible study, being more faithful, becoming a member, getting baptized, start to serve, ask someone to disciple you, start discipling someone. Gideon wasn't the perfect deliverer, and we'll find that out. He wasn't even the unlikely deliverer. The unlikely deliverer was God. Gideon had to come to realize that it was God who was with him, and there would ultimately become one who would be perfect in his deliverance, the deliverer that would deliver us from the ultimate consequences of sin, and his name is Jesus. His name was Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. And he was unlikely to the nation of Israel because he came and his people knew him not. They were expecting a deliverer to ride in on on a warrior's chariot to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. But he came in riding a donkey, symbolizing peace, coming not to deliver them from Roman oppression but to be delivering them from sin's oppression. And he came, he was perfectly obedient to his father, he worshiped God, he prayed, and ultimately he died on the cross. Not for his sin, because he was perfect, but for your sin and for my sin. He didn't just stay dead, He was buried, and three days later, God rose him from the grave. And we'll have the opportunity to celebrate that in just a couple of weeks. But God rose him from the grave by his Spirit, and now Christ is with God in heaven interceding for us. And because he's in heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, God's presence with us, so that we no longer have to fear, we no longer have to be slaves to our sin, we no longer have to put excuses after excuses, objections after objections to God's call in our life, because Jesus paid for our sin and left his Holy Spirit, which is why he can say, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have God's indwelling spirit, those of us who know Christ and have accepted his salvation by faith we have the holy spirit of god who will always be with us maybe you're here today and you need to see the lord maybe you've never placed your trust in christ and you've never seen the full picture of this merciful and gracious god that sent his son into the world so that you would no longer have to pay for your sin But that God through Jesus would pay for your sin and deliver you from your bondage. Maybe you need to see the Lord, see his graciousness, his mercy in sparing your life, and repent of your sins and follow him. If you are a believer, maybe you need to reflect on what God has done for you and allow that to be your fuel for God's call on your life. Maybe you need to see his grace. Maybe you need to see his mercy, his kindness, his love. Maybe you need to reflect on who he is and what he's done. And as you do that, you'll worship the Lord for who he is. Kind, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And what he's done for you, he's provided for your sin. He's delivered you from your oppression. As a result of worshiping the Lord, you also need to obey the Lord. Follow his word. Submit to his call in your life. Instead of taking your excuses, yes, sir, but, maybe you need to say, yes, Lord, to respond in obedience and be wowed by what God does. God has so much in store for his people and for his church. He's given us a new identity. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are his children. He has done great things. He has prepared in advance for us to do good works, to bring him glory and to bring good to those around us. We looked at 1 Peter, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim his excellencies. And when we see him, we find strength to face the day. In his presence, all our fears are washed away. We worship him and obey him, and we will accomplish God's call for our lives, and we will be wowed by what he does. God took me from a pit and brought me out. He met me where I was at and called me to something better. Is God calling you to something better now? God's brought you out of the pit, maybe of your addiction or maybe of your fear and worry and anxiety the unnatural circumstances that you find yourself in and he's brought you out and called you to something better. And he gives grace and patience as we stumble and we learn to walk and he provides for us and he gives us those small next steps of obedience so that we can learn to trust him, that we can learn that his word is true, his precepts are right We can experience the blessing that comes from following the Lord and our faith is strengthened. So we can say and consider it pure joy when we face trials of various kinds because we know that the testing our faith produces endurance and endurance character and character hope and a hope that does not disappoint. So wherever you're at, the hope is that God is calling you to something better and he's given you his son and his spirit to get you there. He's also given you his church. We're going to take some time to remember and to celebrate. In a way, this is the altar. This is the remembrance to the church, to those who have received Christ's gift of salvation by the Lord's Supper and Communion. And so our men, would you please come forward? Communion is a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for sin on the cross. His perfect sacrifice in our place for our sins. The sacrifice that restored our relationship with God and is a picture of the unity that we have with his family, the church. And this isn't a time to confess all of our sins that we're reminded of. The time to confess our sin is the moment we commit it. But this is a time to reflect on the work of Christ, to picture him on the cross, to think about that is where we should be, but that is where Christ was. It's a time to reflect on what he's done for us and how we should respond to him in worship and obedience. And if you're here today and you've not believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, we're so glad that you're here. There's not a better place that you could be than in with God's family. But if you're not here and and you don't know Jesus, we'll we'll just ask that you just allow these elements to pass because in a way they're a remembrance of something that has not been true of your life. But we want you to know that today that you can accept Christ's free gift of salvation. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe, the inner person, that your inner being, you are justified. And it was with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And if you have questions, we would love to talk with you, open up God's Word, and show you the great God that we serve who has died for your sins. So again, I would ask you to allow these elements to pass. But also, this is a time for us, those of us who are members of Heritage, to be reminded, because of our restored relationship with God, to make sure our relationships with our church family are also restored. So as you are reflecting If you have unresolved conflict with a brother or sister at Heritage, I would ask that you too would allow the elements to pass, and that as soon as this service is over or during the service that you go to that brother and sister and resolve that in love as soon as possible. I also want you to remember that these elements are just symbols. They represent the body of Christ that was broken on the cross for us, and the juice represents his blood that was shed for our sins. And as we do this, there's a video, a song that's going to be playing. I would ask and have you ponder and reflect on the Lord Jesus.